Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 10. We've made 10 episodes of our podcast, Behind the Wheels. I am your host. I am DJ Artistic. I am a, a, a DJ and just a overall cultural curator from Los Angeles, California. And I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. EB. EB, what's good? What's going on, everybody? I am EB. I am in Brooklyn, New York, and I am the musicologist. I am a writer, blogger, and a content creator. There it is. This is episode number 10. This is, um, you know, we made it this far, you know, you know. 10 episodes. Yeah, we, we've done that. So thank you all for being tuned in with us uh, thus far. If it's your first time listening, we have 10 full episodes for you. So either way, uh, we talk about everything music, everything from the past, the present, and the future. We discuss uh, artists you haven't heard about in a while, along with whatever the hottest topics are in music, uh, especially in regards to social media. So... To get this episode kicked off, um, the, the most recent thing that we were all tuned into uh, recently was the Versus, which was D'Angelo versus D'Angelo. I mean, it was D'Angelo <laughs> and friends, and he brought a couple of his friends that we, you know, so... They showed up. He looked very surprised. He didn't bring them. They showed up. <laughs> they showed up to it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll say that just from... Before I get into the actual Versus... Um, I will say the pre-show was one of the most impressive ones. They had the legendary DJ Scratch. And, DJ Scratch, yes. Uh, funny enough, I DJed with Scratch at Lil John's birthday about a month ago, and he DJed before me. And I will say, as a DJ, I wish he had done that same exact set for John's birthday because he had a very East Coast-centric set. And I think with John's birthday, he was kind of going off John's crowd, being a, l- a little bit more on the um, you know, the mainstream side. So he was playing you know, almost corporate style, the, the throwback mm. 80s the pop, the EDM, but this set he did uh, for Versus was one of the best sets that most of us have seen, and it just showed the importance of a DJ just setting that tone, because even though some folks were restless after 50 minutes, it's like, all right, are they coming out? But for the <laughs> most part, people were entertained just sitting there watching him cut up, so. I mean, yeah, but it was a, it was an, a real concert experience. You know, you get there yeah. when the doors open and the DJ is <laughs> going, and you have to wait. And if the yeah. DJ is good, like Scratch was, then you don't really mind the way you head to the bar, get a couple drinks, you know, save my seat, I'll be right back. But yep, yep. Uh, this was a this was an excellent set, actually, and it tells, it showed me that DJ Scratch really knows music. Like, some of his transitions and the songs he was picking out, I was kind of amazed that he was digging in the crates like that, but still giving, like, the hits for us to jam yeah. to. And it didn't seem to me like it was too long. I know people were ready for D'Angelo to come out, but I was, yeah, I was in full yeah. party mode. Yeah, for real. Like, that makes sense. I mean, any concert you go to, it's always that good hour. I mean, it's some concerts you go to where it's five opening acts. So I'm happy that right after Scratch, we got into that yeah. show. And then Scratch stayed on with them. So... Stayed as far the as time. yeah, so as far as D'Angelo's overall, what were you expecting, and then <laughs> what did you think about you know what was I expecting? I was yeah. expecting well, first of all, it was uh, billed as D'Angelo and Friends. Yeah, um, I was expecting actual friends of his to come out. I was expecting it to look like the Soul Quarians were on the stage. Like I thought yeah, Poison yeah. was gonna be there. I thought Quest was gonna be there. I thought Erica was gonna pop in. Yeah. Most Def was gonna pop in. Bilal. I didn't that's what I wanted and that's what I was expecting by the way that they um advertised it. And basically, you know, he just played some of his CDs on the stage <laughs> and I it was like he's say playing it, the he's it, just playing it. it. He's playing the yeah. CDs and yeah. he's kind of singing over it but not really and 
sometimes he just didn't care if he was singing over it. <laughs> and it really pissed me off because I was like, whoa, you know, everybody was waiting on this D'Angelo versus and it's not even a versus. It's D'Angelo plays his music and kind of sings over it, but not really. If yeah. he had actually sang live, I would not have been upset at all. But because there was like no band, no background singers, and you don't even need that. All you need is a backing track. Like they literally just played the CD with the like his <laughs> vocals on it. Like why didn't they take yeah. that off? I don't know. So the thing is, if you watched it on Instagram, there's actually a little bit of a delay at that. So mm. it's like it kind of throws you off. So you see him. It feels yeah. like. You you can really tell that he's lip syncing because you don't hear any additional vocals. Like mm. if, you, if you if you close your eyes and turn your head, it's like you hear it, as you said, like it's like like it was played on the actual CD. So it did feel like it was like D'Angelo kind of like you get to see him as he's presenting you the songs. But because it's D'Angelo, we were expecting it to be there's more live musicianship on top of it. Right. And as you said, I was expecting it to be. I mean, not just live musicians. I was expecting it to be Soquarians. I was expecting to see. Quest Love with that that signature snare drum That's on it. it. That's it. I was it. expecting Rafael Sadiq to pop up and would you? I mean, uh, you should be here and yeah, yeah. That's what I, I was. I mean, yeah. I think that the format of it wasn't bad. It was fine if he had talked about some of the songs and who he's worked with, yeah. like when they did the Gladys and the Patty one, and they actually yeah, were naming the songwriters and the musicians. If he had done that, then I wouldn't have minded, but he didn't even do that. He just pressed yeah. play, and yeah, that's all he did. He pressed play. Yeah, that's what it was. Like, like her was like, I was happy to see her. It was dope because it showed <laughs> that he respected and honored a future legend who is upcoming, and she was just involved right. being there. But it was still kind of like... I don't want to say why, but it's it still... was it was a why. It was weird. It was like yeah. D'Angelo and friends. She's not your friend. You never even met her. Like the only <laughs> thing you kept saying was, yeah. "Wow, she's so beautiful." That let me know that was the first time you've ever seen this lady. <laughs> Low key. This is the first Low time key. you've laid eyes on her. But she's she's yeah. coming out. But what they did together was great. That was the only time I heard a live vocal the whole That's night. True. So I'm grateful for that. But I just want to know who is hers booking agent because she is everywhere. Like she's in cute. doing yeah. everything, man, she killing it. But yeah, she's out I here. mean, yeah. she could have did. I mean, I guess you don't have that many. She could have stayed on the stage and played the guitar while he did something. something more. Yeah, just to add, to you know, it, she's an actual musician like, like he is. But yeah. I just wanted that musicianship, and I didn't get any of that. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel the same way. I feel like it was. I mean, even with the numbers, like it's crazy because. Um, like not even to bring anything else into it like that, but Too Short and E40 only had maybe 260k or so, and a lot mm -hmm. of folks were kind of bashing, saying, "Yeah, versus is booking these artists who aren't, you know, who don't deserve it." And being from the West Coast, we got offended. Like, you know, they're, they're, at least they're legends to us, at least even if they're not mm -hmm. to the East Coast. I'm not really tripping off that, but D'Angelo had half of that, and I was shocked. I thought he would have had half a million at least. So yeah, I thought even he without had a lot having, more. even without him having his friends there. I still thought it would have been at least a good 250, 300K at minimum, but really half a million because D'Angelo has so much of a mystique and you don't see him that much. So I was surprised that he didn't have higher numbers. And then I know it started off around 128K and then it kind of dropped and leveled off around 11, like 111, 111, 120. So yeah, because it they, they was like, kinda, we can just play the CD in the house ourselves. We don't have to watch yeah. him play his CD. Like that's that's backwards. Yeah, so it was... It was interesting, but I mean, I'm happy that we do see that he's doing doing all right, and hopefully he can 
get back to making some more music for us because crazy enough, the last album was already seven years ago. So, which is wild. Yeah, yeah, it sounds crazy to think. So, all right, so that's that's basically our wrap up. So, so uh, the segments that we are known for on, on behind the wheels, we have re- the rewind and we have the fast forward and rewind. <laughs> We talk about artists that were were um, they they made an impact in previous decades, and it could be artists anywhere from that those that you're not as familiar with, or it could be artists that you hear about all the time. But either way, we like to highlight artists that usually aren't discussed as much as the the primary legends in the in the industry. And for this this episode, um, who would you like to highlight, Eb? Because I already have my pick. I have my pick yeah. based off of uh, a conversation I had last week. Um, my pick is uh, based off of my last week as well, but it's Adina Howard. Um, Ooh, and okay. it's Adina Howard because the label finally, uh, Electra finally released her sophomore album, um, Welcome For to Fantasyland. Yeah, it's, it's streaming Whoa. finally. It, the it one has, that had like freaking you know it and all that. And listen, uh, yeah, like and... they, they've been Whoa. keeping Adina. Uh, listen, Adina is, she's from Michigan. So it's, right. I picked somebody from America, y'all. That's one. You did. You did. Uh, she's from Michigan. She modeled herself after Madonna, who was also from Michigan. But what they have in common is oh, they both kind of push the envelope and talk about their sexuality. They kind of own who they are and what they like sexually. Um, mm. When she was younger, they moved to Phoenix, Arizona. So she sang in the church. Everybody knows Freak Like Me. It was a huge hit. It is still a song that doesn't quit. Like, one to the two, to the two, to the three. Everybody want to get freaky with Adina. (laughs) The album was Do You Want to Ride. From the same album, she had My Up and Down, which was not as big of a hit, but it was still a hit. After that album, the success of Freak Like Me, she's riding high. She she worked with Warren G, and they did the uh, What's Love Got to Do With It where she's saying the Tina Turner hook for him. That was when her second album was supposed to come out. Welcome to fantasy Island. Uh, It didn't come out. Yeah. So the next time we saw Dina was like in 2004, I think Um, her album called the second coming. And that's when we got the nasty grind. And I know everybody remembers the nasty grind video. I remember that because she was, she was naked. Uh, she was naked with an afro. You know, we was we we hadn't seen the afro. We saw Dina with the short hair, and then she'd been gone for a minute. Now she's you know she got a fro going on, and she ain't got nothing on. She's sitting in the chair, I think. But she came back with that. The video was hot. It didn't sell as well as Freak Like Me or her first album. The next album was called Private Show, and that came in two thousand and seven. She's had a series of label difficulties that's kind of derailed her career. And I say that because I went back and I listened to Welcome to Fantasy Island last week. And okay. for it to be her sophomore album in 1997, I think Seven. it was. It was ni- 97, yeah. yeah. 1997, she had Babyface on the album, DJ Quick, Missy, yeah. Timbaland, Jamie Foxx, and KC. Um, t- t-shirt and Panties, that was the song from that the song, album. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they ended up yeah. being on the Woo soundtrack with Jada Pinkett Smith. But 1997, that year, you had all of those heavy hitters on your album. You're supposed to be like it. You're supposed to be number one. You're supposed to be a superstar. But the label kind of changed the entire trajectory of what could have been a great career for her. 
So she is my rewind. She is Adina Howard, Michigan's own Adina Howard, who is now a chef yeah. and an author and an actress. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. she she actually is a official chef, but she's my rewind because I, you know, I I do think she needs to be respected, but at the same time, I don't think her career would be where it is now had Electra released that second album when they were supposed to. Yeah, Adina is one of those. So. Um... It's a lot with Adina. So she came right in 95, and it was in that era when, like, a lot of the the music had that kind of G-Funk influence. So that, that mm-hmm. song was definitely like a doggy-style influence type song. I mean, mm-hmm. even the We Could Pump Pump, that was a, a sample from there, and it was where it was just like that kind of vibe with the ride around the city with the drop top. And that song is crazy enough. It was definitely, it was huge in 95, but it's one of those songs that I realize even young folks know. And it's songs mm-hmm. from that same era that, that they don't know, but that song somehow is like outlasted so many other songs, and it shows how how much we have. I'm not even gonna say evolved, how far we've come when it comes to sexuality with women, because at the right. time that song was so sexual to people. That song was just like extra, like that yep. was a song like she was just so disgusting and nasty and freaky and this and that. But she doesn't even cuss. She keeps Not it what? clean the whole song, but it it just felt like it. Like she wasn't even saying anything direct. She doesn't even mention any body parts, from what I remember. It was just, it was covert, but it was just. If you see how she looked, how she danced with it, she had the freaknik cut and the outfit, so it just fit to where at that time it freak stood Nick out. Cut. And it that freaknik haircut, that short haircut, you know about it. That yeah, she had that going. So, and then to lead into uh, t-shirt and panties, like. That is what I call a house party lap dance staple. I'm going to mm-hmm. say, I don't want to call it top three. I'm going to say that's number one. I'm going to say it's above Pony. I'm going to say it's above, yeah, it's above Pony. 112 anywhere. I'm going to say it's above all those songs. That, like, if you were in middle school, high school, anywhere between 98 and like 08, maybe even today. I think I, I did high school parties in the late 2000s and they still were asking for that song. And then Ella May just sampled it a couple years, I think maybe last year or two years ago. Yeah, gave it new Ella life. Ella May have. Yeah, she gave it new life. So it's like that song is just so powerful. And I didn't realize at the time that it was written and produced by Jamie Foxx. But now that I realize it, it's the most Jamie Foxx song ever. It is. <laughs> the piano is the on most there. Jamie Foxx song ever the pianos, in the history the of content, Jamie Foxx. <laughs> it really is. Like everything about it is Jamie Foxx. It's the piano chords on there that, because it sounds like church, just like we always talk about. We had the episode about church influence. That song is so church. Yep. Yeah. It is. It. it I mean, it, it. You know, it's. It's that whole. It sounds actually. It reminds you of Jamie's first album. Yeah. It not, does. Peak not this. the. Yeah. Not. Uh. Whatever. What everybody thinks not, is, uh, is first. Unpredictable. unpredictable. Yeah. Peak no. This from '94. Yeah. Right. The first album. It reminds you. It sounds like it could have been. You know, a Hezekiah Walker. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little Fred Hammond in commission. John P. Key could have. Yeah. Did a little that. John yeah. P. Key. You know, something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's one of those type songs. So I definitely, I, I still love playing that. Um, being able to DJ online has given me a chance to play the slow jams at the end of the night. And I, I'll play that and folks, it, just, just, the, just the comments, the comment section goes up. I'll say that much whenever I play it. So, so yeah, it's yeah. a song that, don't, that it just doesn't die. I mean, Freak Like Me doesn't die. Her music doesn't yeah. die. I love Adina Howard. I think she's a great singer. I think she's talented. Um even the albums that did not sell well, I still think yeah. they're great, but the industry just didn't respect her enough for some reason. I agree. Before I move on to my pick, um, I watched her unsung, and it's 
it's crazy that when she was married, her husband said, like, yeah, everybody wants a freak until you get one. He said that basically yeah. she wanted sex too much. And it like she that means her music was about her life. She was not faking it. No, she was not she a wasn't. virgin singing about something she didn't know about. That came from her soul and heart and she somewhere was. else. Yeah. Did you say her soul and her heart? <laughs> and somewhere else. Like it was that was really her. That was authentic. Yeah, no, she yeah. um she she you know, she sings about the life that she she lives and yeah. in 1995 it was about being a freak and it was. in 1997 it was still about being a freak in 2004 yep. it was about her nasty grind and her being a freak yep, even she, today it's probably still about um I know she's a chef so potatoes and being a freak you know something enough, yeah. you gotta tie together yeah but it's she, about making that making that uh mac and cheese sound that's what it's about oh, so yeah, yeah see that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's about so so, it, so salute yeah. to Chef Adina salute. Howard, uh, the rewind <laughs> for this her. week. <laughs> salute to her. That, that's your pick. My pick is from the same exact era. I'm going to go Blackstreet. And Blackstreet is, how do I describe and define Blackstreet? So to me, I feel like whenever we're talking 90s R&B, it's always the same hierarchy. Whenever you hear about the male groups, it's always Jodeci or Boys to Men. Then you hear more so, is it... You might hear Drew Hill right next to them. You might hear Jodeci right, or right. Drew Hill. Then you might hear the, the 112 mention. Some folks who don't know their uh, decades might say Jagged Edge, and I'm like, no, they came in 98, but That's... they're 2000s. <laughs> then you might hear, when it comes to the slow jams, you might hear the early 90s. You might hear Silk. You might hear Intro, H-Town. Black Street, you always kind of hear them mentioned in there, but it's like, for, for certain reasons, you don't really hear them heralded as like, a candidate for the number one or two spot. And mm. to me, I'm not going to say that they were the best group of the 90s. I'm not going to say that they were the most influential at all. But I'm going to argue that their albums were right there next to everybody else's. I might even say that if they weren't better than yeah. than the, than those artists' albums, I listened to both of their albums, but especially that Another Level, that second album, more than any other male R&B album from the 90s when it comes to male groups and maybe even for soloists from the 90s but especially for the groups and with black street of course we all know it came from teddy riley who had guy in the late 80s early 90s we talked about new jack swing all the time and he left he he worked with other groups he had rex and effects and he was producing for other people then he got with black street and uh the first album basically you can tell it was like that transition where it was kind of that awkward stage of, okay, New Jack Swing is over, but we're still mm -hmm. trying to keep similar elements. So the party jam still had the New Jack Swing feel. But uh, those slow jams on that first album, it's like, hey, like Teddy Riley proved to me with Blackstreet's work that he was probably, I still say was the best R&B producer when it came to just pure music in the 90s because Babyface had the most hits. We've we debated them a million times, but to right, me, right. Like, Babyface had the hits. He was a better songwriter. But when it came to actual composition and just production, musicianship, the piano chords, just the way he had bridges and the, the skits, I'm rolling with Teddy. And with Teddy, he had that first album. He had Joy on there. He had Before I Let You Go. He Classics. had Falling in Love Again, the interludes, like the the confession, just the interludes. Just, I wish that song was more than just a minute. And the same with Candlelight Night. And he had the Tonight's the Night. He threw a remix on there, too. Like... All those slow jams on there is just jamming. I don't really care for the upbeat songs as much anymore because they were in that awkward phase of, 
I'm still trying to make y'all dance, but by 94, that sound was kind of dated. So he, it didn't sound like New Jack directly, but it was still, you see where he was going. They're still banging in the day. And Booty Call, I mean, I, I don't really love the song Booty Call on its own, but Booty Call is a, a legendary dance if you go into that D.C. area. Yeah, so it is. Th- they made a line dance from that. So Booty Call was that. And then another level, I would say, is probably my favorite male R&B group of the 90s. And it's where I think the thing with them is that they had those massive hits, but people don't really put the respect on the album cuts and just the overall how he developed and changed his style and the sound because No Diggity was a huge hit that you still hear. It's almost too big to where it's almost like that's your aunties and uncles song because it was just such a, a massive <laughs> song. You hear that at karaoke. And I remember going to Santa Monica to a, um, a taquito or Mexican taco bar one night. And I'm walking up and it's like karaoke. And I hear a white guy singing... I like the way you're working, and I'm like, okay, this is one of those type songs that that your corporate coworkers love to death. But beyond that, he had they had um fix fix was just a party jam. I love hearing fix. It had that yeah. kind of G funk feel to it, and he had to me he covered every tempo. He had those mid tempos, the the good loving. He had the uh, I want to be your man, but then he slowed it down, and he had the let's stay in love, which was like one of those I'm fighting for you. I probably broke your heart, but I'm still fighting to have you back. Then he Everybody had the, in the 90s. Everything in the 90s was like that. And then, <laughs> of course, you had that, um, the Don't Leave, which is just one of the, the most classic 90s R&B songs, period. And, of course, we've talked about, um, I'm not sure if we talked about it here, but with Don't Leave, people were confused. I was confused at the time because, for one, I didn't even know that they sampled um, Elder Bars because I was that young. But then I learned mm. that they sampled the bars along with Tupac having it on um, I Ain't Mad At You. Right, right. The same way that No Diggity had parallels with um, Toss It Up. And they said that was all because of, I have to read the story again, but it was where there were some connections with that because, of course, like Dre was on No Diggity and Dre had ended up fall, falling out with Tupac and on Toss It Up, which has the same play on, play on, play on, play on versus hey yo, hey yo. Like, it's the same thing, but then, like, Tupac, this is Dre on that version of uh, Toss It Up. But Dre is on the uh, no diggity with that same type sample, so it was a lot of a lot of overlap in those studios at that time. But anyway, um, along with those songs like My Paradise, that song sounds like Take Six. When I hear My My Paradise, that was just a cold interlude, and I wish that song was five minutes. And they end the whole album off with another DeBarge remake, but they remade Time We Reveal and did it like we always make fun of it. They make they took that secular song and made it gospel, and they made that song. <laughs> I'm gonna say they made it better. Like they did make it better. They made no disrespect, that one. but they yeah. made it better. The Lord is real is so cold to me. Like, <laughs> like I remember hearing that. I didn't know it was them. I heard that on gospel radio KJLH on a Sunday, and my dad was like, "Yo, who is this?" And then I didn't know who it was until I got to school a couple weeks later. Somebody was like, "Yeah, Blackstreet got that gospel song on the end of the album," and they're playing it. I'm like, "That's Blackstreet? The same album as No Diggity?" And they made a gospel classic song. So. To me, I feel like Blackstreet definitely deserves respect. Um, the, the third album was okay, but I mean, they still had some hits after that. They had Deep. Deep was one of those slow jams back Deep in was 03. The joint. I, I rock with Deep. And then they had the Maya track. They had, uh, you know. Take Me There. Take, take Me There. They, they took Rugrats and put a little <laughs> funk on it. So, yeah, so I feel like, I think one reason just thinking about it, I think they don't get the, uh, the, uh, the, the respect and the. The overall like um, legendary status that they should—it sounds crazy, but I think it's a superficial reason. I think that they didn't really have that that look. I don't think they had the overall like Jodeci was straight sex symbols. Yeah, they didn't have an identity. 
Yeah, yeah. It was it was it was because I think you had this group of I think it was five of them. This group Initially, of five. it went from five to four to five. Dave Hollister came. He left. Yeah. They replaced him. Right. It's like yeah. all these individual artists put together to make this group. So they didn't yeah. really have a direction. Um, That's true. They probably get lost a lot because, honestly, Jodeci had that street edge. And you got vocals yeah. from uh, the harmonies from Boys to Men. And then you yep. got, looking back, like that new edition sound. Like you mm-hmm. can probably roll up all the best men groups and you would have black street it's true because they had they had a street edge but it wasn't really sold that way it was right. more so if you know their backstory if you know where they came then you from you would know exactly they're awesome hood dudes but it was it didn't really come out in the music and they they didn't really appeal to the, to the young girls in that way like no girls were like oh my god it's chauncey black coming down the street like <laughs> nobody was ever like like <laughs> Y'all saw Dave Hollister last night. Oh, Dave Hollister was yeah, like Dave looked like like your uh, your uncle, your young uncle at church. He sound he sounded like him too. He sounded yeah. like your old uncle at church. Yeah, so he that, that man is a voice. singer. He, he sang, so I feel like because of that, and even with Boys to Men, Boys to Men, they had kind of a polar opposite thing from Jodeci. They had that more. They remind you of like a New Age Temptations or somebody from those those 60s and they had that like they're a quartet they're singing vocals and right they're the clean cut they had the they image very that polished polished yeah yeah so black street didn't really have that image and polish so i think that's the reason that they kind of get swept under sometimes so they're they're not forgotten about it all is this that they don't get mentioned at the same level but to me i feel like they were right there with them if you ask me i agree i think honestly like you said if if i'm looking at the all the guy groups from the 90s yeah black street might be in the top three and it might not be number yeah. two or three like that's what they, i feel like they they didn't have um the influence that a lot of the other groups had they did but they that's because they were like a little bit of everybody else but they were just like the perfect version of it like they was like jodeci without drugs like they <laughs> you know it was like yeah. oh they can really sing and you know they could wear those yeah. hippie hippity hop clothes but they not yeah. smoking nothing you know they yeah, not exactly. they not on yeah. that stuff so, they didn't have they didn't have a story behind them. They didn't have, and then yeah. even Drew Hill had a, a flamboyant Cisco with the the hair and just the overall. Like, they couldn't the, do that. I think Chauncey was bald headed. Yeah. Uh, like they couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't. Yeah, they they nobody stood out. Dave stood out as a singer. Yeah, for me, Teddy stood out as I mean he's Teddy Riley, and, like yeah. you know writer and producer. But nobody else really, like I said, I think Chauncey was bald headed. I might be wrong. <laughs> he was, like he was. Uh, see, Cha- yeah, it's like, Chauncey was black. He was black. They called him Chauncey Black, and he was. If yeah. I saw him today, I would not recognize him. If I saw yeah. any, actually, if I saw anybody outside of, <laughs> of Dave uh, or Dave Teddy, and Teddy, I wouldn't like, know them until they. I'll be, okay, that's true. Nobody knows if, their if names. If you in like, Black Street, sing a little bit of Joy, and if they can't sing it, then I'm like, nigga, you ain't you weren't in Black Street. You lying? Exactly. It's it's like what what uh, Kevin Hart just. I, I saw he said it against Stephen A. They, they what I call snap finger famous. It's like you see him. Who is uh? It's the uh. You snapping your finger like exactly. He familiar. Was he in H? That's not H Town. He wasn't H Town. No, it's not, that, it's not Dino. They gonna name like, every yeah. other group, and then yeah. Black Street will be the last one. And then they won't even yeah. say Black Street. They'll say the Backstreet Boys. The Backstreet. And they'd be like, what? <laughs> exactly. Nah, yeah. it's it's Black yeah. Street. And then yeah. you know, I still can't get over you know cousin Faith dancing to um. Oh, to the song in Soul Food, yeah. like I, it was she like did. she danced to that song, and then she went and slept with her husband or her cousin. Man, yeah, I think that might have hurt Black Street's reputation just a little bit. 
It might have gave a different different connotation to that song. It might yeah, have done nobody, that. Yeah, cause nobody wants to nobody wants to play that song for somebody they're in love with now because they're gonna yeah. be like, yo, you fucking my that. family. Yeah, like, that's what yeah. that's what the song means. So that's all you think about. Shout out cousin Faith. I mean, hey, she was Everybody got one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we all do. We all do. So some 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 yeah. of y'all are faith. I just want just some to be real listening. about that. Some, some of y'all, y'all are the cousin are. faith. What's up, Faith? So yeah, so that is our rewind. That's Black Street. So salute Black Street and Adina and, and Cousin Faith. Anyway, so <laughs> on to our next our next segment is the uh, the inverse of that. We have the fast forward segment where we talk about some artists who are making buzz in whatever way it is and that we feel have potential to, you know, be dominant forces in this thing we call music. So EB, who would you like to highlight for this episode? Ah, I got another American. Oh, there we go, American. <laughs> She's oh, from uh, Illinois, actually. I think outside right. of Chicago. Um, but she has what we always talk about, the church background, where they singing yeah. in the church. She has that. Um, so the church has been very influential. Um, she was actually discovered in the new age of like social media. She was discovered on Facebook. Her and her brother were freestyling wow. over um, the clips, over the grinding beat. Oh, for real? And I that is like what that. made... That, that went viral in... I think the end of the 2000s and yeah. that's what got her a deal. You know, she sings and she raps. She released her first mixtape in 2011 and it was like all of these beautiful, like R and B ballads, but for a, the Gen Z crowd, like mm. for the teenagers. Yeah. Great. Yeah. She released more mixtapes and then she had one called alter ego and then she's rapping again. So you got this girl who can sing and rap, who does it well. Um, when she released her mixtape in 2014, it was called Winter's Diary 2. That was praised as being one of the best R&B albums of the year by Billboard and the Rolling Stone. And that was just hmm. her releasing an independent mixtape. She eventually signed a deal with Timbaland. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what happened with that anyway? Well, I mean, okay, where, so where is, this is, is what happened. So Timberland says that Aaliyah came to him in a dream and told him that Tink was the one, like literally, that's the one. So they put the album together and he just would not release it. Um, She says that he probably just wants to make it, wanted to make it perfect. This was back in like 2015 or something. Like that's what, that was her words. He just wants to make it perfect. But um, for whatever reason, album never came out. She became very distrustful of like the industry and record labels. Mm. She, they worked out a deal, so she got out of her deal with Timbaland, <laughs> and she left with the rights to all of the music that she had recorded. So that was you know smart on her okay. part. She moved forward, releasing her music independently. She released a couple mixtapes, and then she finally released her first full length album in 2020 on Valentine's Day. And it's called Hopeless Romantic. And like I said, she makes music. Hmm. I don't want to make it sound um, like a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. But she makes music for like Gen Z women, um, like young teenage girls to early 20s. That's what I feel she makes music for. Yeah. And when I listen to the album, I that was the first thing that I noticed. But I love that she does that because I don't feel like anybody does that in the way that she does. And I think... Okay. You know, the fact that she's duly talented, she can rap and she can sing and she can produce and she's releasing all of her stuff independently. 
I mean, that says a lot. She's had so far eight mixtapes, one EP, wow. and yeah. one album. So if there are people out there who like Lauren Hill, I mean, well, like Timberland said, if you like Aaliyah. Yeah, yeah. Like the Brat, even, I know this won't make sense to some people, but somebody like a Nicki Minaj who can hold the tune and, you know, change her style up, but she's also a, a great lyricist and she can really rap, so... Everybody should check out mm-hmm. Tink. She is from Illinois. She is, yeah. I think she's still still pretty young too. But um, yeah, she's she's young. She's probably mid twenties. I'm yeah. Assume. She she's still yeah. pretty young. But I think her music is great. I respect her grind. You know, releasing things independently is not easy. But then when you uh-huh. do it and you have success like she's continuing to have, that means you're doing something right. So shout out to Tink. It's true. Yeah, I feel like the thing is a lot of times when you hear about artists getting with those main producers and nothing ever happens. Like yeah. I always do wonder because it happened a lot with Dre, especially more than anybody else mm-hmm. along with, with, with Puffy and yeah. Puffy. I feel like Puffy will push your stuff out, but it's just that he won't really <laughs> do anything else from there. He might not he won't do anything right else way. after he puts yeah. it out. And a lot yeah. of the times like the younger, well, not even younger, like newer artists when they're signed to these labels, like to these bigger, you know, people and yeah. we never get anything from them. The artists very rarely speak negatively about the person because they don't want to mess up any industry connections that yeah. could happen. So, like, even sure. when Tink is explaining why her album didn't come out, she's still giving Timberland, like, the benefit of the doubt. Like, he just wants to okay. make it perfect, even though she probably wanted yeah. to be like, nah, he ain't, you know, yeah. whatever. But, you know, you can't mess up those industry connects. You can't. And, I mean, and Timberland, I mean, I feel like, because Tim, Timberland's an obvious legend who I ride for, yeah. but... As far as recent music, I wonder, I wonder if it was just a conflict of like, of, you know, what they call creative differences. Where, I mean, because it's a huge generational gap between her being like twenty five, twenty six, and him being mid forties, yeah. and just sonically. I mean, because even with Timbaland's newer music, it sounds modern, but it's still he still is. You can a, tell. Yeah, he's a nineties producer, so it's yeah. still tricky when it comes to making. Like, it's, it's not that many nineties producers who are making you know peak music back then who are still making great relevant modern sounding music that doesn't have very true their influence because i mean to me i felt it was kind of weird that her first song was one of one in a million remade right with him <laughs> and, and, and like, that was the emphasis of him saying that Aaliyah came to him in a dream so yeah. he was it seems like he was really trying to fashion her into being the next Aaliyah. Yeah, trying but, to write, almost trying to write Aaliyah's Exactly. Life. Like, her yeah. on the legacy of her, like, okay, this is yeah. other girl. But I don't think that is who Tink wanted to be, if that makes sense. I think yeah, she just wants to that. be her. And, I mean, she's young, so she came up at a time where music is digested differently. Like, the kids are learning new things. The kids know a lot more than they did. So hmm. maybe she wants to do her own thing. You know, she's already been producing and releasing her own stuff. So now to be signed to... Timberland and you know somebody else may be making the calls for you it might not mm. be the situation she wanted to be in either that's true that's true so I'm definitely looking forward to what what Tink has in store because it's a couple songs from her that, that I play so she she has some yeah. heat so I'm definitely rocking with her my pick for this week will be Mr. Anderson Pack. so I first heard about him I remember back in 2015 when the NWA movie was coming out and then they announced that Dre had the Compton uh, Compton album coming out and of course we were we had been waiting for Detox so long that I even said a year before Compton. I remember having a tweet a year before the Compton album. I said, 
hydration just scrap the the, uh, the detox concept and just put an album out but have a whole new a whole different name because the name alone is just not gonna live up to detox so if he gives it a new name people can at least accept that it's okay it's not what detox was supposed to be so when that came out i was like oh he, he's dropping something called Compton. this is dope like he actually did what maybe he read my, my tweet who knows he probably didn't but you know he, he probably did though you kind of official he probably did i mean maybe so i remember people were hype and then the main thing everybody said when they came out that day before i heard it oh he got anderson pack on here and he's on here like five times and i was like okay whoever he is somebody else said the same thing i see a tweet about it i see a facebook message i'm like all right who is anderson pack okay so i listen to it and i, I hear him i'm like okay he, he got a unique voice and i heard that animals track i'm like oh this is different like animals came in and the fact that it was the first time we ever heard Dre and Premier, who are seen as the best, the best LA and New York sounding producers of mm -hmm. all time together, and they have this guy who I never heard of on a track before, and he's killing it. I'm like, I don't know who he is, but I'm a fan automatically. So I tuned in from there. So I caught up on some of his previous work, and I heard that he had a lot of different, like, small projects at the time, and he didn't, he wasn't really huge. But I heard about his Venice project, and then that next year he dropped Malibu. When I heard Malibu, I said, yeah, he is, he is official. So I've been tuned in since then. With him, he's one of those new age artists that has an obvious strong influence from every previous generation. His voice sound like it came from the 60s. Like he's one of those almost how I didn't know Otis Redding was 26 when he died because he sounded 48 right. on every song. He had that rough voice, but it's like, it's sweet at the same time. It's kind of, he can go high, he can go low. Mm -hmm. And he can rap as good as he sings, just like how we were talking about Tink. Like, I feel like it's almost a requirement nowadays. If you're going to be an artist, you got to rap do it and all. sing. Yeah. yeah. And he can sing on any tempo, whether it's on the uh, Come Down, it's an upbeat, up-tempo song, whether it's the one um, he had one talking about just putting the tip in, whatever it was about. But he, he can sing that and make it sound <laughs> sweet. And it's like, all right, he actually has... He has so much variation. And then when you hear his collaborations like with YBN Corday, um, mm -hmm. RNP, that's one of my favorite rap songs of that year. And for it to be that song, it, it reminded me of some most deaf and Talib going back and forth. Like and seeing them perform that live on um, I don't know if it was Jimmy Fallon or Saturday Night Live, whatever it was, they performed that and just that chemistry for them them to be like different generations and never have done a song together and seeing them on stage, I'm like, this is just perfect. Like it's just a straight hip hop hip-hop vibe and anderson the type that he rapped but he's giving you a little bit of melody in there he has that kind of soulful almost a little bit of a curtis mayfield going on when he's rapping so yep. <laughs> i feel like like anderson to me is probably gonna be one of the most prominent um, artists of this generation and everybody was hyping up oxnard and it was a little bit underwhelming but that anywhere song was a banger to me and then he dropped ventura and ventura was less hype but i think it was a better album and I'm just looking forward to what he has because I don't know if you heard, he's actually dropping something with uh, Bruno, Bruno Mars. Yep. And they have a single coming out. Uh, by the time that this episode is released, uh, y'all will ha have heard the single. Or if you haven't heard it, listen, this should be on Tidal or on Spotify right now. They got a song that should be out right now for y'all, but they're dropping the whole album. And Bruno and Anderson are two of my favorite artists in the, in the similar way that they have that old school influence. But I think Anderson is a lot more of a, a recent or a, a more modern sounding artist than Bruno. So I feel like mm. he might be able to kind of pull Bruno into that where they're doing some old school vibes, but putting more of a new polish to it. So I'm definitely looking forward to that and just looking forward to what Anderson has coming up. You know, he, he does have one of those voices from the seventies. Like he just got a throat full of black and grits. <laughs> just, it's just, it's just all soul. 
And so, honestly, the first time that I heard him, it wasn't even rapping. It was actually singing. I didn't even realize that he could rap. And then when I found Mm. out that he had his own flow, I was like, oh, okay. And then, you know, producing and writing as well. I think, you know, from this uh, generation now that's making music, uh, he and uh, Tyler, the creator, they stand out to me because you can tell that they know their stuff. They may have been born, you know, 20 years too late because they, <laughs> yeah. they got these old souls and they can tie these different sounds together, but make them modern and they don't sound dated or it doesn't sound like you're mm-hmm. mimicking something you heard before. Yeah. He's very original. Um, I would love to see what him and Bruno come up with. Like you said, yeah, if interested. he can bring Bruno to 2021, I'll be yeah. happy. Yeah, seriously. Like, I feel like he... He's the one I think who could do it. And I can just tell they both had those personalities. They probably were in there having fun. Like oh, yeah. I hope they I hope they drop a whole like like making of the album video where it's just behind scenes, them cracking jokes for 20 minutes and then yep. in the middle of a joke, hold up, say it again. All right, hey, say it again. All right, that's a song. So we can see the Next creative process at work. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, they probably they probably came up with songs just from them talking about jokes about grits. They probably could have ordered some grits <laughs> and then anything Anderson says is a song, it's, them grits taste good. That's a sample. Like, that's, that's a hit. That's a hit song right there. Like, Wait. Whatever he said. Now, next week, if this is what yeah. we hear. This is true. Listen. I'm not they, saying that this podcast is the one, but this podcast is the one. Hey, I think it is. So I feel like that that might be what happens. And uh, also, before I move on, um, he he also dropped my favorite protest song of last year. And one of my favorite protest songs of the last 20 years, because I've always said that most protest type songs are corny to me. I love the message behind it. I love what they're trying to do, but they right, always they come well. off. Yeah, they mean well, but they're always so forced. They throw that little fake choir at the end of it, and it's just so. Why dramatic. you gotta call out John Legend and Common like this? I, I didn't say nothing about. I mean, come right, on. Right. <laughs> I didn't say anything about. I love, I love John Legend. Yeah, I didn't say nothing. See, about. when when people talk, <laughs> black people talk, and their voice go up and pitch, <laughs> that mean they lying. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say nothing about John. Yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> all right, all right. Any, as I was saying, anyway, <laughs> anyway, when I heard that lockdown song, like. Because the thing is, it's not forced. It's not him trying to say, it's not one of those, we got to come together, we got to fight. We. It's him Gorge. just, yeah. <laughs> Look. <laughs> Look. Hey, Glory won awards and Common went to FAMU. So, I'm, I'm, all right. So, I rock I rock with I rock with Glory. All right. All right. You know, it was for a good cause, you mm, know. But mm. it was. It was. But, yeah, like, they got to take notes from Anderson. Because Anderson on lockdown, He's just like I don't know if you if you say he's rapping or singing. He's singing with the, or he's rapping with a, a melody with a melodic presence, or he's either singing with the rap cadence. However you want to phrase it, it's like he just makes this song. He's presenting it in the middle of the lockdown, in the middle of a protest, and he's just giving his perspective. But it does not sound forced. It doesn't sound like oh I, I have to make a song to speak about this. It's like it just sounds like he was really in the middle of it when he made it. And then yeah. on the video, he threw J-Rock on it. He, he dropped that verse, and then the beat comes back in. He keeps going. And I feel like it's just the most authentic um, representation of, of 2020. I think when I look back at 2020, I'm going to play that song for people. Well, I'm not trying to look back at 2020, but I will play the song I'm not, every honestly, now and I get then. it. I feel yeah. it. I feel, I feel it. you. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah, so so from there, that is, um, that is our fast forward for this week. So... We're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna get a little bit, little bit um touchy. So 
we might offend some folks. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows where I'm we go? I'm gonna try with my it, best too. All right, do your job. That's what you do. So next up, we have the drop. We're gonna be talking about a topic we've been seeing a whole lot on social media, and then we're gonna have a beat match between two classic albums, and we're gonna start up some. It might be a, um, the vibe cover '96. We're gonna see where it goes. <laughs> so we're gonna see about it. You from you know you in Brooklyn. I'm in LA. So we're gonna see where it goes, we, but. We, I always end up with the East Coast versus West Coast. We always we always do, but it's always a beautiful thing in the end. So, you know, so at this time, we're going to take a break. Uh, y'all go, go get some water or whatever it is. But uh, before we move on, make sure that you go and listen to our podcast uh, playlist as soon as it's over. We have an official playlist. We're going to have some Blackstreet, some Medina, some Tink, some, some Anderson, some everything that we've been mentioning on that playlist is going to be in the notes of the podcast itself. So I'll see y'all in a minute. Welcome back. Once again, this is Behind the Wheels Podcast with DJ Artistic and EB. So for this episode, so uh, we have a, every episode we have a feature called The Drop where we just focus on whatever the A hot topic is in hip hop, R&B, black music, period. And for this episode, I think I want to discuss this. So I don't know who out there has seen the clip. EB, have you seen the clip of Aerie Spears? You know, Aerie Spears, the, the one who's always doing the impressions of everybody, basically. <laughs> So Aerie Spears, <laughs> I like how you did not call him a comedian, <laughs> but yes, I all saw right, the all clip. right, comedian, comedian Aerie Spears. I mean, so comedian Aerie Spears has a clip. So basically, what Aerie Spears is asking to all the, uh, I guess you could say Gen Z or whoever it is that's younger who loves the current brand new hip hop, he says, "Don't y'all get tired of hearing the same exact uh, rap music all the time?" He said, "Every single song sounds the same. They rap the same." And to imitate his cadence, it was and he said, basically, aren't you all tired of hearing the same stuff all the time? And it, it sparked controversy as always. And as usual, most of the debate was kind of split up between the generations. I guess you can say it was a Gen Z type thing versus millennials and or Gen uh, X. I mean, however you want to splice it up, I think. Millennials, the older half of millennials are more so leaning leaning in with Gen X. The younger half are more so with Gen Z. So you could even say 28 and under, 28 and under to be fair. Either way, a lot of folks have been talking about that. And before I even ask you your thoughts on it, um, it's something that, that I've always thought about. Because being a DJ, you always have to know whatever the new music is. I always have to, even if I don't enjoy new music, I have to play it. I have to know what's hot. I have to know who's hot. And it's where initially it's like, even if I didn't 100% agree with him, I know exactly what he was talking about. Because before he imitated that flow, that's the <laughs> flow I imitated in my head. And five years ago, Snoop imitated it. Snoop was on, he had a, uh, his podcast he had with 50 Cent. And he was saying like, I don't know if it's Future, if it's Migos, but they all sound the same. And he imitated that flow. And funny enough, he ended up using that same exact flow on his song Legend a year later. And I'm like, I don't know if he's making fun of them. Or if he's doing it just to prove that he can do it, either way. I know what he was talking about, basically. But before I get into it, what do you think about that when it comes to just hip-hop alone? Do you feel that everything new 
does have the same elements or do you think it's a bad thing? Do you think it's us being old heads? Is it both? It's it's a mixture of everything. I think uh, a lot of times, um, just like in the 90s, we could hear the differences in the music because of our proximity to it and because we were actually yeah. following the artists. But the people, you know, who were born maybe in the 60s and even some yeah. in the 70s, but you know, the 50s and the 60s mainly, they didn't understand it. They thought everybody sounded alike. Like in the 80s, <laughs> they thought Houdini and... The Fat Boys all sounded alike. And they DMC thought Run and DMC and LL Cool yeah. J was the same. You know, it sounded the yeah. same to them. Yeah. So to me now, when I hear it, yeah, I it's I think everybody <laughs> sounds the same. But I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think that's just the way that the industry is going. And hip hop is still like a really young genre. Like hip hop is barely oh, uh, yeah. forty right now. So yeah. you got to think about it. It's the first time for people who. I don't know how old Aerie Spears is, but for people his age and or people Snoop's age, I know how old Snoop is. Um, this is the first time that they're really seeing hip hop evolve. Like R and B fans, you know, we've been seeing it evolve since the beginning of R and B. We've we've been through the New Jacks and the discos and the eight oh eights and you know yeah. all of that. But this is one of the first times, not one of the first, but those people are having to watch the genre that they grew up on evolve. And they may not understand the sound or they may think everybody sounds alike, but I can guarantee you that the kids know who who is like they know yeah. the baby from the baby. They know Migos, <laughs> you know, they know uh, Cardi from Meg, but to yeah. someone else, they might not understand that, especially from a different generation, just because it just sounds like noise after a while to you. Like a lot of hmm. stuff sounds like noise yeah. to me now, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. I get why it sounds like noise. It's like with R&B, like in the eighties, you had groups like Atlantic Star and SOS and Midnight Star. And I'm sure to somebody who grew up on like sixties R&B, that yeah. they all sounded just alike to them. Like in the nineties. The same because they were synthesized. And yeah. yeah. Everybody was probably like, oh, that's that Mary J. Blige. And it was probably like Janet Jackson playing. Like they, <laughs> like. Yeah. You know, once you're older and you're out of it and you're not really listening, you don't really hear yeah. the differences because part of it is like a bias. It's just what it is. Like, it's, yeah. it's Natalia from, you know, whatever you like or whatever you liked or whatever you listen to normally. But a lot of it is just because people don't take the time to listen, honestly. Because I'll be honest, sometimes I that same flow that everybody else does, I'm like, yeah, I know what the flow is, so I don't even want to hear it. So I don't yeah. even I don't even try to, you know, learn the names and my mom is good at that. My mom is one of those people who's hmm. like the baby come on right now, she'll know exactly who it is and I'm just like, "How? Like, <laughs> wow. Like, why do you know that?" Your like, mom you said? Yeah, no, my mom listens to oh, everything. Okay. Everything. Okay. It's crazy. But wow. I'm a person who, you know, it'll sound like noise to me and most people her age it'll sound like noise to them, but she, you know, she will listen to it and be like, "Oh yeah, I like that. I like that." Versus, mm. you know, somebody else who will listen to it and be like, they all saying the same thing. I don't even know what they're saying. Or, you know, yeah. why is it so loud? You know, you know, we get <laughs> grumpy so and old. You know, <laughs> why is it so yeah. loud? So yeah. I don't think it's a problem that now it's a problem if Gen Z is like everything sounds the same. That means, OK, we got to stop. Yeah, yeah. I can but see that. I'm guessing Aries is like, he might be Gen X. He's, he might be older. He's than 45. That. He's, F he's oh, prime Gen okay, X. So he, okay, Prime. Gen X. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if he thinks it all sounds the same to a certain extent, because first of all, he's not even in the music industry. So he's not, there's, there's that, but yeah. um, <laughs> it doesn't, it wouldn't matter as much what he thought because the music necessarily, it's not for him. It's not, it's not for him. So, I mean, I have so many different ways of looking at it. So, so as I said earlier, the fact that I knew what he was talking about means that I get that that is the most common thing. So people who know me know that I have been kind of annoyed with the fact that, that what I call the triplet flow has been so common the last like eight years. So basically triplet flow. the triplet flow. So basically you heard, you heard it in bits and pieces. So I would say the, the originator is probably Lord infamous from three, six mafia early nineties. He's the first one to really have full songs where he did it. And the triplet flow is, and it's not that you're always going to use that one, two, three, the entire song. It might be breaks. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. It might, you can break it up different ways, but overall you're using that triplet cadence over it. So the thing is some folks, when Migos got big in 2013 from Versace and all that, they, they immediately got, you know, got the, the uh, acclaim as that being the Migos flow. And yeah, a lot no. of folks were, a lot of folks were saying, <clears throat> People who are older are all saying that's definitely not Migos that they're saying that's lower infamous or that's been done before. Somebody even tried to trace it back to, to Public Enemy because they did it at a much different BPM on a few songs. But to me, it was way different because the BPM, if it's 102 BPM, is not going to be the same. It's more so, it's still different to me. But it's mm-hmm. like, but some people were saying Bone did it. And to me, my comparison is that Bone went in and out of it because Bone. They'll use it here and there, but it's like, I don't, it might sound funny with me. It's like imitating cadences, but they, they might. Right. So they, they're variating everything so much that it wasn't that same flow. But a lot of times with Migos and people who came from them, you heard that the entire song. So Big Sean, so from there, in the last eight years, basically every rapper who's famous has used it on. At some point, some rappers use it all the time. Like J. Cole uses it all the time to me. Whenever you hear like um what's what's the main song he has? Um some 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 they could feel. Um what's that song called? Um J. Cole. J. Cole. Some keep counting me out. December, 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 then out. It's um what is that song called that he has? Um a middle child. Okay. So J. Cole Middle Child. If you listen to Middle Child, he definitely uses that flow on there. And Kendrick uses that flow on, on, on certain songs. Um, he uses it a lot on um, on loyalty. So the thing is, uh, a lot of times when they use it, they might add melody to it, but it's still the same overall flow. So so um, when I was saying on Twitter, I was basically saying that Lil Baby and a lot of these rappers do use that same flow. So even though their songs might be different, their voices might be different, the content mm-hmm. is different, I do agree that almost every rapper uses this flow. So somebody who, I, who I'm cool with from Atlanta, the Reds podcast, he's from Atlanta, he's younger. So he was like, so you sound kind of old because Lil Baby doesn't even use that flow. I'm like, yes, he does. And he's like, what's the triplet flow? And I'm like, dude, like, I'm like, I could notate it out. I'm like, I could write it out in musical form. He might sing with it, but it's, I'm flying and everybody. It's still the same exact flow. It's just that he might chop it up different. It might not hit in the same place, but overall, I feel like that flow is so dominant. Like Chica uses it on, on Chica's song that she has mm-hmm. with Maxwell. She comes in with that little black girl from the hood. So to me, overall, to summarize that, I do feel like 
a lot of rappers use that same type flow, but they use it different. So it's not that every single rapper is using the same exact cadence the entire song, because a lot of them go in and out. Meg definitely uses it a lot. Cardi uses it. The baby uses it. It's just the dominant flow that everyone uses. And to me, I guess my issue is that compared to the 90s, everybody had different flows and they changed every two years. Because if you look at 1990, you had that fast paced flow. You might have had the um, Father MC had a different flow and Heavy D had that. Then mm-hmm. you get to 92, you had the uh, Lords of the Underground, you had the Daz Effects, Bumps, Giggity Bumps. You had Crisscross, Wiggity 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 Whack. Snoop was still doing that a little bit, but then Snoop evolved it. Then mid-90s, you might have had Biggie and Jay. They had their own, the Brooklyn flow. It was the, the ha-ha with big ta-tas, big papa. I felt like it was so many different flows back then, even the 2000s, when you had Mystical, Ludacris. And the thing is, yeah, in this past decade, you still have a lot of different flows because Rhapsody doesn't use that flow all the time. Mm-hmm. Even Kendrick uses it on a trap beat, but when Kendrick is rapping on King Kunta, he's not using it. So overall, there's a lot of different rappers using it, but I think it's a lot. If you go to a club, essentially... If you That's what you're going to hear all night. Yeah, 90% of the songs are using that. Money Bag Yo, yeah. all these different rappers, Young Dolph, most of the time, if they don't use it the whole song, you're going to hear them use that flow at some point of the song and almost 90% of the songs you hear at the club, and they're all the same speed. I feel like when you go to a club, especially Atlanta, Texas, Memphis, 90% of the songs are the same BPM. They're 70 BPM. That ties into yeah. what I was about to say is it's regional. It's it is regional it's, too. It's, it's it's now Atlanta is like the music hub of yeah. the world. So it I you call it what you call it again? What what do you call it? The triplet the triplet, triplet flow. Triplet. It, it's yeah. it's trap house music to me. Like that's what I call yeah. it. It reminds you of a trap house. It's that dirty <laughs> south. It's like our uncles talk in the south. Like that's how they <laughs> yeah. talk. So that's like with the cigarette hanging out of their mouth. So that's why that's why the, yeah. the flow is that way is because they don't want the cigarette to fall. But what that is is in the nineties yeah. you had the West Coast was doing its thing. You had New York doing its own thing. You had Philly doing yeah. its own thing. You had New Orleans doing their own thing. You had people in Texas like Houston Memphis. doing their own thing. Chicago Memphis. had their own. Yeah, everybody had their own thing, but everybody was also like making music where they were like not necessarily where they were from or where they lived, but where they were at the time. Now Atlanta is it. And everybody wants that sound that Southern. Cause that's what it is to me. It's it's like Southern trap house. It's like somebody's uncle talking with a cigarette in their mouth. You know, you gotta, the, the flow is, uh, like more like of a staccato where it's not really sticking together and nothing flows seamlessly, but they make it sound that way. Um, the kids like it. I ain't gonna lie. There's like one or two songs. I've been like, yeah, it feels that way. But then I always feel like I'm in a trap house when I'm listening to it. So <laughs> yeah. then it's like, no, I'm not listening to it no more. I get what Aries is saying, but Aries is also just like, old. like he, I'm old older. at this point. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm old, I'm young old. So it's like, I think <laughs> me and you are both kind of caught in between. Cause yeah, we caught, yeah. A, 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 a middle aged millennial is a lot older to, than the, the Gen Z kids who call us old. But then, the, the Gen X call us, the, the, we're the young kids that we might like Soldier Boy. I personally didn't care for him all that much. But at first, no, when, you know, when he came out, I didn't care for him. But mid-2000s, I mean, people our, our age do love the Boozy, the Webby, and even even jerking era for, for the West. I mean, whatever yeah. it was. So it's like, we're, we're kind of that middle child, as J. Cole said. Like, J. Cole was rapping. He's our age, technically. He's the same age as us. And that, that song was saying he reaches out to the old heads, but... He mentors the young heads. So we are at that age where we kind of do understand both sides more than either of those sides do. But 
we feel both both of them. It's like we do feel old listening to some of the new stuff, but we do like some new stuff. Then we do love all the old stuff, but then some old stuff we feel like, all right, that's we get it, but that's not as good as basically that's not good just because it's old. Because some right. of them will tell you that like group home and boot camp click were are better than anybody out now, and it's I'm sorry. like, yeah. So group home boot camp clip, I I, I, I roll with them. I mean, I, I like some of their music for sure. Way better was, than anybody that's out now. Some of them, some of them will talk like that. Some of them okay. on YouTube comments. Go to YouTube for almost anything old, and all the comments are gonna say, "I miss when hip hop was like this." Anything old, you're gonna see those same comments because it it True. feels that way. So True. I feel like so so as far as what Aries was saying, I get why he's saying it, and I mean the thing is, so even. I would say even outside of the uh, the South, like even the pop smoke sound and all that is totally different, but it still has the same bass. It still so has the same. <laughs> it's still the same tempo. So it's like, even though Money Bad Yo sounds way different from pop smoke, they still use that flow because pop smoke, welcome to the party. It's still the same, same similar flow at, mm. at times, but his voice is way different. His voice, no rest in peace, his voice was way different. So Big Fivio, um, Big Drip. Somebody, somebody, it's still the same. It's like they still all use these same elements, but it's the the tempo is the same too. They're all 70 BPM. So the thing is, I will say that's just the main dominant sound. But overall, you do have Detroit. Detroit has a totally different sound, and their sound sounds just like the Bay Area. Detroit and the Bay have that similar. They have uh, the Pac-Man. They have a uh, Sada Baby. They have all these new rappers mm. from Detroit, mm-hmm. and they have the same flow as what you hear in Oakland. And now LA is imitating that. I don't like LA imitating that, but now you have like uh, Shoreline Mafia doing it, and you have these rap groups who it's kind of an offbeat flow. It's purposely offbeat. Like Detroit rappers, they hood, but they saying some funny stuff. They they cracking jokes the whole song. Like you got Pete BFB the Pac Man. The song is called Free Joe Exotic, and he's wearing a shirt that says something about um HIV positive. That just gives you the tone of how comical mm-hmm. it is. But it's like he's actually it's, it's different. So I don't think all new rap sounds the same at all. But I do get that the dominant sound. Is yeah. it's, it's kind of tied together, and overall, before I end it, I feel like the internet has homogenized everything culturally. So everything, like you said, in the nineties, in the nineties, each city not only had their own distinct sound, but there are five different sounds for each city. Like Tribe right. didn't sound like Mob Deep, no. even with Q-Tip producing for them, no. and then Rockefeller sounded different, Bad Boy sounded different, uh, Group Pound sounded, you know, everybody sounded different. That's just New York alone. Right. Atlanta had a totally different sound. Arrested Development didn't sound like Outkast, didn't sound like Crisscross. UGK was Texas. They didn't sound nothing like MJG and 8-Ball in Memphis and 3-6. Didn't sound like them. Florida had Trick Daddy and, of course, Luke. Luke did sound a little bit like 69 Boys, but he started that whole sound up. So they had a whole different right, right. style from Atlanta at the time, aside from the Atlanta bass, which came from Miami. So all that to say, now with the internet, everybody basically hears the same stuff. Like the radio plays the same stuff nationwide it's the same top 25 songs so we use the same slang because of social media we all say cap we all say whatever we say because social media says it but back in the 90s i would say something like i'm about to shake and somebody from florida is like what does shake mean because i never heard that before (laughs) or or somebody from florida calls you green boy you acting green and it's like what does green mean because we had different slang so Mm. i feel like now with the internet we weren't as connected as we we weren't and everybody wasn't doing the exact same thing everybody wasn't But like you said, that like if you listen to, and I'm sure Aries doesn't sit down and listen to these people's music as most people don't. But yeah. what he hears is what is popular. What's on the radio? What's in the radio, club? What you club. might hear in a department store or, or watching TV or even a clip from TikTok or something. It's like you yeah, hear this stuff. and you're thinking yeah. this is all that there is, and it's not. Like you know, in the '90s, they probably heard one sound, 
like in the 90s, you was either East Coast or West Coast. Like a lot of people, older people, they yeah. weren't even considering New Orleans or Atlanta or Memphis to be a region. It was East Coast to West Coast. That's true. Mid-90s, it was all East and West. So Yeah. It's, it's definitely, I mean, it just shows evolution, as you said. And it's funny that somebody older even said it's not an evolution because evolving means it's getting better and getting more complicated <laughs> and more and more complex. And I was like... That's a different argument, but I mean, that's it's, a different argument. Yeah. But but, mm. but technically, it's a lot of artists who are still evolving who make more complicated music. Is this that is different and it's not as exposed? But that's a different argument for a different day. So, uh, everybody who's out there listening, let us know what you feel about that because I mean, I know a lot of my folks who are thirty plus. They I, I know a lot of us do feel that it can you know that it could be uh, it could be monotonous. But at the same time, I think there's some of us who know that there's a lot of new music out there that. That is different, and we're trying to bring that to you all. That's the point of us having the podcast and the fast forward. So moving on, I think it's about that time. So this part of the podcast is called Beat Match. Beat Match is where we take two artists. We could take two albums. We could take two generations. Whatever it is, and put them against each other and see who would come on top in a battle. And for this one, um, this is how we're going to do it. So a lot of these debates that we see, that we've been seeing forever about the best albums of each decade, and... Everyone who knows me knows that I feel that the best rap album of the 90s, um, the best two I would say are kind of hand-in-hand, Chronic and Doggy Style, but to me, personally, my favorite album of all time and the best hip-hop album to me of all time is still Doggy Style. I feel like there's a lot of albums that are close to it that are arguable that if you tell me something else is better, I'll say, yeah, I, I totally get what you mean. But if you ask me, I'm riding Doggy Style all day for the best album of the 90s. And uh, do you agree with that or what? what do you feel about it? Oh, yeah. I absolutely do not agree with that. Oh. Um, best okay. album of the 90s. Well, I can tell you what beats Doggy Style easily. Is, easily. Easily. E- Hold easily. Up. Hold up. All right. Is Notorious B.I.G.'s Ready to Die. I, li- I like that album. I mean, it's one of my favorites. It's top, it's top five <laughs> See, for the your, 90s. Your pitch, for sure. your pitch went up a little bit. The again, pitch went so up again. Okay. I'm lying again. <laughs> Man, I, I don't rock. All right. I, I do rock with it. I, I do like. I love Biggie Smalls, but. I think I think it's I would say it's top five. I feel like I'll even put put Illmatic over it personally, but I get it. I get it. Yeah, Illmatic. Yeah, Illmatic. Illmatic. I still put that. I put that Illmatic over it. But I mean, it's a great album, but yeah, mm, no. I rock with it. Well, since you're saying it's Biggie, uh, ready to die. You know, this is how we do it for beat match. We 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 each get two minutes to argue our point, and then we get to rebuttal twice, and then we let our producers, Melissa and the lady. Uh, go ahead and give us, you know, who they feel the winner of that battle is. And I'm expecting it to be a little biased with, you know, the votes. But we're going to see. We're going to see how it goes. So, EB, as my co-host, I'm going to let you go ahead and give us your take on why Ready to Die is the best hip-hop album of the 90s. Yeah. So, or at least I mean, why it's better than Doggy Style. It's why it's better than Doggy Style, right. Yeah. I think we all it. know that by, like, the early 90s, East Coast rap had kind of, I don't want to say it died down, but East Coast wasn't the, we were not the, yeah, we were not the only people making quality hip hop. West Coast yeah. kind of came in and took all that over. I mean, oh, you know it. <laughs> hit after hit, you know, East Coast was still stuck on, we were still hailing like Kane and Rakim <laughs> as like the best and... West Coast happened. When West Coast happened, it took the focus off of New York. 
when Big mm. released Ready to Die, he became the king of New York. Like he became the new Rakim. He became the new Kane. He became this is hip hop music. This is hip hop central. That album was so big. I mean, warning, you know, the beat alone, uh, Juicy, Big Papa, One More Chance. Like, that album has, everybody knows when Juicy starts, everybody's going to say it was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Everybody knows from Big Papa, believe me, sweetie, I got enough to feed the needy. One More Chance is just like another beat, so you got one more chance. And you got the remix Mm -hmm. with Total. And then you got the remix remix <laughs> with Faith, Mary, and Big over the DeBarge Stay With Me sample. And that video alone, I mean, D-Nice, Mary, Faith, Aaliyah, Heavy D, Jeanne, Miss Jones, Total, Mary, Mary, I mean, not Mary, Mary, Changing Mary, Faces, Mary. same group, Changing Faces, same group. You know, <laughs> oh, everybody's in this video, so they had this big house yeah. party for this video, and If you pay attention to the album, the album is a concept album. It's a narrative that tells a very specific story. Um, It was, you know, from birth to death. Like, if you listen to the intro, which is my favorite song on the album is the intro, actually, which is crazy to say. But it's because it takes you through, like, the generations of rap. Like, when it starts, you hear Big being born. And you're hearing Superfly. You're hearing Curtis Mayfield, like, one of the foundations of hip-hop with his music. Then it goes on through his life, and when he's a child, you're you're hearing Rapper's Delight. When he's a teenager, you're hearing Audio 2. And then current day, Big, you're hearing Snoop's, the mm-hmm. shiznit. You're mm-hmm. hearing Snoop, because at okay. the time, okay. before he came out, okay. Snoop was the biggest thing in hip-hop. Yeah. So yeah. I like the fact that the album starts at one place, and then by the time the album ends, like Big was addressing real issues like suicide and crime and drugs like he he was being so vulnerable on record it was almost like a soul singer like pouring his heart out about what he was going through and in the process he kind of took rap back from the west coast um he changed his style for that album i don't know if anybody's heard young big rapping but he sounded much more like a cane or a Rakim than he did like the actual Notorious B.I.G. He kind of evolved during the process of that album and that's what made it so great was that you could hear his evolution. All right, all right. So I definitely rock with that. Um, So as you said, I didn't even have to say it. One of the first songs you hear before you hear Biggie rap is Snoop from Doggy Style. That shows how powerful and impactful that was for them being on the East. And one thing, so one thing is... It's always kind of an East Coast, West Coast thing when you debate these albums, but I'll say, if you go outside of the East and West, Doggy Style gets more love than basically anything from that era, from Bad Boy as well. If if you're talking about these albums, like, even when I was at FAMU in the 2000s, you heard Doggy Style, Chronic, All Eyes on Me more than you heard the Bad Boy albums, because those, the Midwest and South rock with those just as much as the West did, so it wasn't just about being LA only, and the thing is, when I was young, when Doggy Style came out, I didn't really even care about him being from L.A. Because technically, he's from Long Beach. I grew up in Gardena. I was Crenshaw and Rosecrans. So he wasn't from my actual neighborhood. He used to hang out in my neighborhood. But it wasn't even me caring about him being from the West. Because I actually, as I've said before, my first favorite rapper was Heavy D. And even with 
Snoop dropping that, I still love it for everything else. It was never, I never once even thought about, oh, he's from the West. So Biggie from the East, he, I like him, but he's from the East. It was never a but. I love Tribe, Gangstar the same, but Snoop to me just stood out the most, and that album still hits the hardest to me for several reasons. So I would say Biggie was a lot more vulnerable. He was a lot more of a, he spoke from his soul in a different way. Snoop was the type, the charisma, the flow, everything he did was so transitional. And those songs on Doggy Style are so strong and impactful. So I have to say, when it comes to Ready to Die, you cannot count one more chance because that album version is not the same as the remix. So I'm not going to count it. I'm not going to let you. So okay. you got you okay. to subtract that one. But okay. when it comes to the songs on Doggy Style, so who does not know Gin and Juice? Gin and Juice is one of the biggest songs of all time. Basically, half the songs on there have been remade, and every song has been sampled in different parts. So even if you, uh, if, even the Philly rappers, I was listening to Freeway's album last week randomly because I mean I rock with Freeway in 02. He he had a song. He said, "This is for the G's. This is for the hustlers." That's Snoop. The fact that Biggie he sampled Snoop on the not not just the intro, but then that second song, "Things Then Change." That's sampling um Lil Ghetto Boy. That's that's drain drain Snoop right there. So it showed that. And, and Snoop let that song off, even though it's chronic. So, but going back to Doggy Style, uh, along with the Gin and Juice, you have Ain't No Fun. Mariah made a whole remix based off Ain't No Fun, where the brats rapping like Snoop, and and Missy is on there. So, Ain't No Fun is a song. I don't care how old you are. That's one of the greatest party records ever, where everybody came and played their part. I mean, you had the the main What's My Name, Who Am I? Uh, Jay Z based the entire song off of that. He had Jig, uh, what's my name, you know, from the depths of the sea back to the block. Like, that's all based off of Snoop. So Snoop came from a whole different place, and he influenced New York more than any other New York New York rapper in that time did uh, before Big came. I would even say more than Big to an extent. So that's just the first part of my argument, and uh, we're going to keep it rolling. I'm going to give it back to you right now. I love that you brought up the fact that Snoop was one of the most influential and he was first on you heard him before you heard biggie well biggie was paying homage to the past so everybody who was hot <laughs> so the curtis mayfields the you know the audio twos the sugar hill gangs and the snoop dogs you know all of the people from the past the and then past. you brought up jay-z mm. i mean Big as oh, an yeah. artist, he inspired Jay Z. Like oh, Jay Z's entire yeah. sound. First of all, Jay Z's entire sound changed. Second of all, yeah. before he died, Big was king of New York. He was king of East Coast yeah, rap. Yes. Tupac was the king of the West. That's that's the way it was. That's the way the industry saw it. Big released this album when he died. Then Jay became like the king of New York. He took the crown, yeah. Him and Nas when Rock. when Pac died, Snoop didn't become the king of anything. Snoop, although very mm -hmm. influential, although very important to the culture, like nobody's like that's the king right there. Like nobody's rapping better than Snoop. You know, it's like the difference between a lyricist and mm -hmm. um. And I'm not saying Snoop is not a lyricist, but a difference between a real lyricist and somebody that's just having fun. And Snoop just seemed to have more fun on record, which is great. If I have to take away one more chance, I'll give you that. You still got dreams. You know, everybody knows dreams as I sit back, relax. Everybody. Is that on the album? Is that on the album? It was, it was a bonus track. Hey, it was a bonus, bonus. track. Hey. You got who shot you. All right. You got who shot you. 
Was who shot? No, that's not on there, is it? It's a bonus track. <laughs> it's a bonus track. I'm not counting these. Okay. In 94, Album you didn't have on us. Okay, yeah. we're going to go with yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. DJ okay. Premier. We talked about DJ Premier. Unbelievable. And the what? With Method Man. Those was cool. So, I mean, so as you were saying that nobody called King, uh, Snoop the King, it's two things I'm going to say. The first, I'm going to quote Jay-Z. He is to the East Coast where Snoop is, to the West Coast where Face is to Houston. He was giving Snoop the crown right there. This is 03. So here's the thing that we cannot forget. Snoop was so big at the time that the people uh, almost forget, looking back, there was an actual murder trial that Snoop was on. That's the reason that he lost what, what could have been seen as the king. But he was so big that Tupac, and Tupac was not the, big, the biggest thing. Pac became big because he got with Death Row, who was big because of Snoop. So that's what led to Pac being the biggest in the game. And you got to remember, Snoop was in jail. So I will say, of course, Snoop let us down on that second album, but we talking about that first. We talking about Doggy Style. We talking about Doggy Dog World. That video with everybody in there from the everybody from that '70s era that he he loved to sample. That black exploitation era was in that video. You have he had three songs he freestyled. What artist has three songs on one album when they freestyled and made classics each time? The Shiznit, G's and Hustlers, Pump Pump Pump. Those were all freestyles. As I, as I was saying, influence. The Pump Pump influenced Adina Howard. Like, he had every song there had influence. Murder was the case. You still hear people talk about that. And that iconic performance he had on MCV where he, he walked out the, the building after saying, I'm innocent, and got arrested. It was like he had these iconic moments all based on this one this one album. Like, you got to think about how crazy that was. Even um even little small stuff you hear. Even, even when you hear, like, if you ain't up on things, like, he reused that because that came from uh, what he did on Doggy Style. Like, the stuff he made on there was just so legendary that it can't be taken away. And he introduced, he was so cold, he didn't rap to the third song. The second song was Lady of Rage. He almost made it like verses. He had a pre-show. He gave Lady of Rage the platform. He gave a woman the platform on the, on the song before he's even rapping just to introduce himself on the record. So I feel like the way he came in with that, and he lost two songs. You talk about bonus tracks. He lost, um, you know, G's and Hustlers. I, I mean, um, G's Up, Hoes Down. G's Up, Hoes Down was supposed to be on there, so. We, so okay, so, but it's not on there. Remember the bonus track. Back to it. <laughs> Back to it. Easy Moby, DJ Premier, Lord Finesse, Chucky Thompson, all produced on uh, Ready to Die. Then the samples, that Entume sample. Like the James Brown samples, the Isaac Hayes samples, the Isley Brothers samples, the main ingredient samples. Like Big was deep in his bag as well. Like they both were students of the 70s and students of that 70s soul. That's how they grew up. But I feel that Big's connection to it was deeper only because of the lyrical content of the album. Like he was able to make selling drugs and contemplating suicide, like, sound good. You know, uh, Big Papa was my ringtone for a couple years. I ain't on, you know, back in the day. Then you got songs like Juicy, Me and My Bitch, and Everyday Struggle, like, where he's just really just lamenting about life in Bed-Stuy at the time. It's the GOAT album of the 90s for me. I mean, I respect it. It's, it's a top go, but it's not quite there. You mentioned all those producers, and they didn't do what Dre did on this one album. Sonically and production-wise, Ninth Wonder even said that was the best produced album he ever heard, and even still to this day. Each song still sounds so clean the way that each one is mixed. And even though Snoop, I mean, Snoop, he he made it cool to remake a rap legendary song. Like, you talk about uh, 
pay homage to the past, he re- he remade Lottie Dottie. Who's that crazy enough to remake a rap song and make it sound so cool that it got respect from everybody? And, and they didn't need samples as much because the thing with Dre, he's replaying it, not just sampling. He's replaying all these songs. And you have tracks like Ain't No Fun. The only sample on there is Lynn Collins, Think About It. He has a small vocal sample, but they replay everything. All those synths, that's all live musicianship. So musically, I feel like you can't touch it. It's one of the best produced albums, even outside of hip hop. And when it comes to just the, the lyricism and what he was talking about, he made, he made it the same way Big made it cool to, to sell drugs, whatever. Snoop made, made it sound cool to gangbang and to have, you know, all type of raunchy sex, which might not be positive, but that's what it was about. And I mean, I'm rocking with Doggy Style. All to the Dizzy. So, yeah. At this time, we will let our producers go ahead and weigh in. I already know how they're going to vote. At least how one of them is going to vote. I'm not even tripping, but I'm still riding with that doggy style. So, I mean, Melissa and my lady, I will let you speak your case. First of all, you need to have more confidence in yourself. Um, and about that's that, why he keeps hey. losing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up. I ain't even been losing. I ain't been losing. Uh, hey, I already know what they're going to say. Up. Hold really? Because we both I already we're, know. were discussing some great things, but um, okay, okay. I'll say I definitely was leaning towards Biggie the first half of this, and plus just how I grew up. Like, I mean, I the impact for me was huge, and I definitely was like sad and crying when I heard that he died. Like that was it was a moment for me. So I try to take that out of it and really just think about those albums and the true argument. So I ended up really feeling torn at the end, feeling like they both were just really strong as far as influence on so many other people, the production as well, the storytelling. And the one thing that kind of made me like switch to this might be a tie for me was like, the conversation around, is it lyricism? Is it like showmanship? And I'm like, no, nah, I thought Snoop had lyricism as well on that one. And mm. I was like, because mm. I, I yeah. definitely thought Biggie was like the best storyteller. And I still think he's better than him in that. But when I'm thinking about those two projects and that influence in a production, it's really hard to choose now. Um, mm. I think y'all have really great arguments. I'm going to have to say a tie for that. Okay, okay. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I came into this thinking Biggie too. I just, I just love the songs that are on Biggie's album. Um, but then also, I remember distinctly seeing uh, Snoop's album cover in my parents' <laughs> music stuff, and you know, it looks like a cartoon. And so I would sneak and listen to it. I knew I wasn't yeah. supposed to be listening to it. Though. Same here. So they, I don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then like y'all were talking about EB's talking about like it being a concept album and we follow him from birth to death. And I really love albums that, you know, tell a story how Biggie was being vulnerable on the album. And and then uh, EB said that Snoop didn't become the king of anything, but then uh, and Jay-Z did. But then DJ Artistic was saying, but then Jay-Z said that he gave Snoop the crown too um and then you know Snoop's got the charisma and everybody like loves the party to those songs so I I don't know I really don't know this is y'all y'all both brought your a game to this one so I have to call it a tie too I mean so once again we have a double tie that means we need 
We need y'all to hashtag right now, right now, right, not not now, but right now, hashtag behind the wheels pod and give us who who the winner is. And don't I know how some of y'all are? Some of y'all gonna say Illmatic. Some of y'all gonna say no, 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 uh, t- Tupac or something. No, these two between albums. these two albums, <laughs> between these two only, which one are you going with? Because I mean, yeah, I feel like one thing that, that I can say is that um, I have a lot of friends in LA who will say Biggie. So it's not. It's not necessarily an automatic bias as people expect, but right. I, I have more friends in the South who will say Snoop by far. Mm-hmm. For the West, I actually have more East Coast lovers from the West than the South for some reason. I feel like LA does have a lot of folks who were into the East Coast sound. A lot of them didn't really love pop like you would expect them to, but when it came to Doggy Style, that's this one album that we all rock with, but the same with Biggie. Like When Biggie died, I, I, was, I was just as sad as with pop. Yeah. It was like... It's one of those type deals, and I heard that he does have a new documentary out right now, right? It's really good, yeah. It's on Netflix. Yeah. It's great. It's uh, about uh, like hour, two hours long, but it, it yeah. goes into um, his life and a lot of that album, but um, his life up until his death. Yeah. One thing. Oh, yeah. So speaking of everything, I was actually on a uh, on the clubhouse stage with uh, his DJ, DJ Mr. C, mm-hmm. and he was saying, like, so as you said about him, him rapping different, I never really... I always thought so, but I had to have him confirm it. He said that Biggie was rapping a lot more like Lords of the Underground on certain songs. So if you hear like Party and Bull and then yeah. on, um, especially especially on Give Me The Loop, he said you can tell all the songs that Biggie recorded like like before when he was with Uptown right. and the songs he did with Bad, Bad Boy. Boy so ones totally with Uptown, different. Yeah, he took a, 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 like a yeah. six-month break. So he recorded the yeah. first half. Then he went to North Carolina and sold a little something, you know, and made some money. <laughs> yeah. Then when he came back, and I that's more, it feels like a puff thing, you know, being flashy and commercial. But his yeah. style kind of changed up, and that's when we got stuff like Big Papa and Juicy, yeah. you know, Juicy. As, as compared to, like, the first half of the album. People really, yeah. like you said, the one more chance. You know, yeah. it's not the same as the remixes. Just saying, it's two not, remixes. Two remixes ever, yeah, the Craig G remix and all that. So yeah. it was different. Yeah, because, like, Give me the loot. I always thought he sounds just like Lord, Lords of the uh, Underground when it's goodness gracious to paint. Like it was such mm-hmm. a high pitched voice, and they, I feel like Mr. C might have said it was either Craig Mack or somebody else told him to just like talk with a calm, chill voice, and that that changed his whole flow up. That changed his whole everything. So yeah, so salute to Big. I mean, even though he didn't make Doggy Style, he did make Ready to Die. So it's I mean, I mean it's the same tier. It's the same exact tier. It's the same tier, definitely. Yeah, period. I don't feel like it's. It's a difference, really. So it's just all preference. And with that, we're going to take you on out. Thank you all for listening for 10 whole episodes. That is wow. 10 episodes ten. now. Yeah. One and the zero together. 10, so, man. Yeah, so I appreciate y'all. So once again, whatever y'all would like to hear us talk about or, or discuss or debate, make sure you hit us up. Send us an email right now to behindthewheelspod at gmail.com. Also, follow us on Instagram. I'm at DJRTISTIC. Uh, EB, where can they find you? I'm at EB4Prez. EB, the number four, P R E Z is in zebra. Okay. And make sure that you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and check out our official playlist on Spotify. We have the links, and the, the links for that are in the uh, show notes. So until next time, uh, I appreciate you all for being tuned in. Spread the word and make sure you all help us settle that tiebreaker once again. Hashtag behind the wheels pod and there it is so uh we'll see y'all next time that's right out behind the wheels is produced by melissa d Munts and the lady yahuma Sek. and the music is provided by epidemic sound <laughs>